speak to us, to teach us your word. Father, that you would make us receptive, that we would be hearers and doers of your word as we leave this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm uh, glad you're here this morning. I'm John Davis. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Community Church. And if you're watching us online, thanks for uh, tuning in. We look forward to meeting you soon. So come on by and see us at 1045 on Sunday mornings. We'd, we'd be happy to meet you. I want to start this morning by maybe bringing up some nostalgia for a few of you who are over the age of 40. I know that's only a couple of you in the room, so kind of a young crowd. Um, but uh, do you remember Muhammad Ali? Uh, this may be one of the most famous pictures you've ever seen of Muhammad Ali while he's standing over Sonny Liston after he knocked him out, and he's basically telling him to get up if you want some more. Uh, Muhammad Ali was an amazing boxer, but he had this ego that just did not, uh, it wasn't confined within the boundaries of reality, to be honest with you. I mean, this, this guy was, he was cocky, he was arrogant. I, I want to read a couple of quotes for you that Muhammad Ali was famous for. Uh, he was very famous for saying, I am the greatest. And he even said, I, I was the greatest before I even knew I was the greatest. Uh, one, one of his, uh, his quotes says, I'm not, the, uh, I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock him out, I pick the round. Um, he, he was that kind of guy. If you ever watched him fight, I mean, he was like that. He would just kind of toy like a, a, a cat with a mouse in the ring sometimes. Even the rumble in the jungle whenever he fought uh, George Foreman. And, you know, I mean, it was just... It was rare to watch the guy lose. He had a, a record of, I believe it was 57 uh, uh, wins with 37 by knockout and five losses total in his professional career. Uh, he, he's got another quote too, says this, uh, and this is kind of interesting after the last one. At home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people I've found don't get very far. And it kind of makes sense when you have this, I am the greatest, but you know, those humble people don't get very far which you'll know about Muhammad Ali later on in his life, and he did become a great humanitarian. Uh, some of, there's some, some controversy in his life that he had changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali, and uh, many accused him of doing so to avoid the draft in Vietnam it was during that time of era. There's a lot of stories and speculation about that. But what you will also know is just the reality that the, the professional boxing took its toll on his body, and by the end of his life, he was suffering from advanced Parkinson's, where he would shake, and he had memory and speech problems. Uh, he still was a great statue of a man, and whenever he was around, he did have this personality that truly lit up a room, whether you agreed with his politics or his personality or his boxing or anything else. But he had this quote to say near the end of his life, and, and I put it up here so you can read it too. He says, now the things that once were so effortless, my strong voice and the quickness of my movements are more difficult, but I get up every day and try to live life to the fullest because each day is a gift from God. It's amazing how we become humbled sometimes because of circumstances outside of our control or decisions that we made that we didn't know what the outcome were going to be, or we lived life for the moment, but not for the long term. And we saw the short gain of that. And I think Muhammad Ali was a, a victim of that, but he had plenty of people cheering him on. You, you didn't hear a lot of people really saying, you know, that Muhammad Ali, he's just so arrogant and cocky. They said that, but like, but he backed it up in the ring. He was one of those guys that could throw a punch, and, and he, was, he was really good at that. But it is interesting towards the end of his life as he's not able to even barely control his own movements that he found a little bit of humility. You know, there's lots of things that humble us. On our, our vacation that my family and I took uh, to the Grand Canyon, uh, we had this humble us. And you may see this picture up here. Uh, we were going to uh, the Grand Canyon at 8.15 in the morning. It was negative one degrees. 
and on our radio was playing Lord I Need You by Matt Meyer. And if you, if you know me at all, I don't like cold weather. And I, that was such an appropriate song for me because Lord, I needed you. Because here's my wife saying, oh, it's so great. We're going to see the Grand Canyon. And here's my kids going, oh, I can't believe dad, she talked you into this. And here's me going, we should hit a patch of ice right about now. We don't have to worry about the cold. You know, I don't like the cold. It, it truly humbles me. It incapacitates me to a point to where I don't function well below about 65 degrees. Now, if you know me at all, I don't function well above 65 degrees. But when it gets cold at all, like this morning, it's really challenging for me. But, it, but cold is a humbler for me. It makes my hands hurt and my bones ache. And I just don't want to get out and do anything. And so there's, there's things inside of our control and outside of our control that bring about humility in our lives. I want to tell you the last story about a man named Chuck Colson, and some of you know him for a lot of different reasons, but I want to give you a brief history of Chuck Colson's life. He was called Nixon's hatchet man, and he was a lawyer for President Nixon, and he was a very talented and a very intelligent lawyer. And whenever Nixon was um, in the midst of this Watergate scandal, it was said about Chuck Colson that he was his hatchet man. So he was the guy that was going around and making threats and hauling people in the court and doing some things behind the scene. If you wanted something bad done or some dirt on somebody that was against the Nixon administration, Chuck Colson was your guy. That's who you called. Um, he had a moral uh, flexibility about him that made him a great politician, I think. And so in the midst of this Watergate scandal, even though President Nixon was granted clemency for uh, confessing to what was going on, he was advised, Chuck Colson was, by his attorney, do not testify against yourself. They can't pin anything on you. But about a year before all of this went down on the formal trial and everything, someone got to Chuck Colson and began to befriend him and tell him about Jesus Christ. In the middle of discipling him and showing Chuck that there's a better way and that there's a God who forgives you for all the things you've done and you don't have to live this way and you don't have to, to deceive people and you don't have to take advantage of them, you don't have to threaten them and scare them, Chuck found a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, the right and the moral and the good and the righteous thing for me to do is to tell the truth on the stand. And Chuck Colson actually testified against himself and went to prison for a year. He probably would have never been convicted. They just didn't have enough evidence on him. But Chuck said, this is the right thing for me to do. I found this relationship with this Jesus. And he spent one year in prison. And in the process of that one year in prison, Chuck Colson, the hatchet man, comes out of prison and he created one of the greatest prison ministries internationally that we see today. Chuck has been an advocate for prison reform, for uh, the right to life and so many other wonderful causes. He passed away in 2012. But he was a great man. He was even disbarred from practicing law. He couldn't do the thing that drove him that he loved anymore. He was a great man in many different ideals that the world may see. But Chuck found some humility about him. And so this morning, if I, if I can press anything on you at all, I just want to really encourage you that humility is one of those things that's going to find you. It's going to hunt you down and kick you in the teeth or you can submit to it one way or the other. But we will all on some level be humbled. And it took a, an Ivy League educated, great lawyer, work for the president kind of guy to go to prison to find his humility. And I pray none of us have to find that same thing. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. It's in the Gospels. It's about halfway through your, through, your, uh, through your Bible, right in the middle. It's the first book of the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 5, we're in a series called Words to Live By. And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. And we're going to go through this slowly because there's so much we can glean from this. There's a lot of ideals about what this Sermon on the Mount was. And I'm going to give you some of that and kind of let you decide for yourself. But I want, to, I want to teach you some of these words to live by that Jesus was passing on too. 
And in Matthew chapter five, verses one through three is where we're gonna be today. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got one for you back at the next step table. We want you to grab one, take it with you. If not, the, the words are gonna be on the screen this morning, but we want you to have access to words to live by, by God's word. And so let's look at these first three verses together and let's talk about them a little bit. Matthew chapter five, verses one through three. Seeing the crowds, he being Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want, to see, I want you to see a couple of very interesting things in just these three verses. When he was up on the mountain teaching, the crowds looked at him. And so there's two very distinct groups of people here. There's the crowds. And if you go back to chapter four, what you're gonna see is Jesus had been going around the, the Sea of Galilee area and he'd been teaching and he'd been healing. And it got to a point where he couldn't even walk into a community or into a town, but people started coming to him in the wilderness. And at this time, there's probably four or 5,000 people around him and they wanna see a miracle. They wanna see him raise somebody from the dead. They heard about him feeding people by just taking some loaves and some fish out of one basket and feeding thousands of people. They wanna see him do this and they're just there for the show. And these are the crowds. He must probably would have gladly been in that crowd. Hey, I wanna see it again. Show me another one. Oh, I'm gonna go out and see Jesus today. Let's go out here to the wilderness. There's this guy that's uh, making lame people uh, uh, walk again and blind people see. And, and let's go out there and see this for ourselves. And so there's a lot of buzz going on about this and a lot of people out there. But then it says that he went up to the mountain and his disciples came to him. And so there's two very distinct groups of people. There's the crowds, the large group of folks, and then there's the disciples. And disciple is a simple word. It, it merely means follower of, those who follow Jesus. And so these other people were crowds. They were watchers of, they weren't followers of. And so they were watching to see what Jesus was doing. But the disciples said, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to know him a little bit more. I want to get a little bit closer to him. And so Jesus is up on the mountain and his disciples come to him. We're not just talking about the 12. We're talking about several that were around there. And acoustically, he was probably up on a mountain talking down because there was people around him and they were listening to him. And, and the scripture says, and he opened his mouth and taught. And that was a very rabbinical type word to say that basically says someone with authority, when he begins to speak, everybody else gets quiet and they listen to him. And so the speech that he gave after he opened his mouth and began to taught apparently stuck People were paying attention to what was going on there and what he was saying and how he was saying it. And it made such a difference that the rest of the crowds were kind of watching there and they were trying to probably determine, I'm just speculating here, I wonder what they're listening to that we're not. I wonder what they're getting into that we're not. I wonder what we're missing. I think I probably would have been in that crowd myself. And then we get to the first verse of the Beatitudes and Jesus basically and clearly says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Now, many times when people read this passage of scripture, they look at it and they think poor in spirit. So they just see the word poor and they stop. People who do not have, or they're short of, or they're lacking, or they require the assistance of others. Well, that's true in the sense of just what poor is, but it's an entire phrase there that says poor in spirit. And this is such a beautiful phrase because what Jesus is saying is simply this, blessed are those who are humble enough to know themselves and know they can't make it on their own. Blessed are those who have a good sense of themselves and reality and realize that no matter how much good they do, no matter how much truth they know, how much knowledge they acquire or impart in others, that, that, that none of that matters if they lack humility at all. And what Jesus is really doing is saying, in my kingdom, there's a lot of people who are watching, the crowds are watching, but if you wanna be a citizen in my kingdom, these are the characteristics of kingdom citizens. 
And one of the first characteristics he throws out there is a humility about an individual of themselves and the knowledge of their God and how much they need him. And so when he sets out a characteristic, he just basically says to those who, who have said, I want to be a follower of you, then great. If you want to be a follower of me, you're going to need to be humble. You're going to be poor in spirit. You're going to have to get past yourself. And he's not talking this crazy, oh, I'm not worthy. We're not worthy, Jesus. You're kind of like Wayne's World. Anybody ever see that movie? Good. If you didn't see it, it's not an endorsement. Don't go watch it, okay? If you did see it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's not talking about this feigned, fake, false humility. He's talking about someone who says, man, I, I get it. I'm not able to do this on my own, and so I need some help. And Jesus said, yeah, blessed are those. And that word blessed is another great word because blessed was reserved for two types of people, gods, little g-gods, and the dead. And so it was Disciples hear Jesus say blessed, the first thing they think is, oh, wait a minute, what does this mean? And, and in, in truth, it only means one who has obtained some sort of complete satisfaction that cannot be obtained in real life, but can only be obtained in death. And you know, when you die, all the worries and troubles and debt and all that stuff go away from you. So why wouldn't that be complete satisfaction? But it's only reserved for those who are dead or for the, for the gods. And we're talking little g gods. And so all of his disciples and even the crowds past them, if they heard this, they would have heard this word blessed and thought, hey, he's imparting some sort of knowledge that we can obtain to. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to give it to you. But the only way you're even going to recognize what gift is being added is if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven and there's the last part of that phrase that he says, the kingdom of heaven. And in my house are many rooms. In my kingdom, there's lots of places. In my domain that I rule over, there are my subjects, the people who live there. And I want to give that to you. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2 tells us this. And I think this is a great verse. If you remember back in Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet that God sent to, to, to tell everybody about the one that was going to come, the Messiah. And he says simply this, but this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one I'm going to seek after. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think that's a great thing for us to know because Jesus is saying, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who listen to my word, those who know themselves, and those who subject themselves to the authority of the kingdom, not for their own sake, but for the sake and the glory of all. See, humility has this amazing thing that it does to us. It puts us in a place of reality because even when you can't change negative one to 65, you're humbled by the reality that there is one who can and you're not him. Even when you're laying on the mat, Muhammad Ali is standing over you, you're humbled that somebody puts you on the mat. Even when you're locked up in prison for something that you did that you could have lied and got yourself out of, but you did the right thing, you are humbled knowing that there is a God who loves you regardless of your address. Humility is an amazing thing. And if you learn nothing else this morning and hear nothing else from me, I want you to hear this. Humble, find humility before it finds you. Find humility before it finds you. Jesus is not giving this hard, stern warning. He's just saying in my kingdom, the citizens in my kingdom, they're humble people. They're humble and poor in spirit because they have found me. They have found humility. They have found the one who left heaven, who came to earth, born of a virgin in a manger, very poor, who would grow up a sinless life and die for no reason whatsoever, completely innocent for you because he chose to do so because he loves you. In my kingdom are those who look to the one who saved them, 
with gratitude. There's lots of places in the Bible that we can look and find this. John chapter 3, verse 16, you all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. A little bit later on, John the Baptist and his disciples are over here talking and one of his disciples say to John, hey, listen, your cousin Jesus, the younger one, he's getting more followers than you are and they're baptizing more people than you are. Now, John could have been like Muhammad Ali and said, I am the greatest, but he didn't. He said in John 3.30, I must decrease and he must increase. I must be less and he must be more. I must pull more myself away from, look at the attention, look at me, look what I'm doing and do everything with humility to please the father and bring glory to him. And that's what Jesus said, the poor, the, the poor in spirit do. They bring glory not to themselves, but to God, their creator and God, their father. And they're blessed for that. They have a complete satisfaction in bringing glory and honor to their creator, God, who loves them. We can also look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 if you want to. It just talks about doing work. Whenever you work, whatever work you do, don't do it to gain favor for yourself, but do it for the Lord, for it's him you serve. And people are watching that. They see that in your workplace all the time. Why does this person work the way they do? Maybe that's a bad thing. Why don't they work the way they do? Why do they work the way they do? And they never really take credit for that, or they don't do it just to advance. They do it because they have a work ethic and a lifestyle that it seems to exceed them, and it's very confusing some, for some people to see that. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take praise for a job well done. The laborer deserves his wages. Jesus taught us that. But what I am saying is this, is that whenever you do take credit for something that, that you have done, give that an opportunity to bring glory to the Father. The poor in spirit will do that. Now, I don't take compliments well at all. I don't get very many of them, so it works out pretty good, okay? But I don't take them well, and I know that about me. It's a shortcoming for me. I don't, I don't like to do that because I feel uncomfortable because I don't know how to reciprocate for that. I also feel a little manipulated sometimes, too, when someone says something nice to me because I'm thinking, okay, here's what's coming next, right? I worked in customer service for a really long time. Customers would walk up to you and tell you all kinds of great things to get a better price. They never went for the credit card offer. It was the weirdest thing. I don't know what the deal was. But I don't take compliments very, very well. But you know, there's something that I can learn from this passage itself. The poor in spirit would take that compliment as an opportunity to bring glory and honor to the Father, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 tells us that Jesus uh, is teaching his disciples and he says, God the Father has pleasure in giving you the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying is that if you are a follower of mine, if you're a disciple of mine, you're poor in spirit, you have found humility, and I want to give you the kingdom and everything that's in it. I want to give you a complete joy and satisfaction. And I want you to dwell inside of that complete joy and satisfaction. But if you're waiting for that to happen until you die, if you think you're going to obtain that by some sort of financial wealth or some sort of worldly accolades, it's not going to happen. And you're better off just going and hanging out with the crowds, not stepping up and being a part of the disciples and the followers of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how can we obtain this complete joy, this blessedness, this humility, and this poor in spirit? Well, there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. The scripture talks about a couple of them as well. We, we can quite simply just understand that we need to accept our need for Jesus. 
that we need to understand that we've tried a lot of things on our own. And I will tell you, the older I get, the more I realize I can't change negative 1 to 0 or 15 or 35 or 65. I, I can only put on so many clothes, but cold is cold for me. And at some point, I do look at that song and go, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you to heat this place up a little bit. There are other parts in my relationships with others that I realize I can't impact that relationship anymore. I can only say I'm sorry so much. I can only push that person away so much. I can only take so much abuse from them. But at some point, what I need to do is accept that God's going to have to intervene here. He's going to have to get involved in the middle of this conversation. He's going to have to get involved in my heart and the heart of someone else, or this is never going to get resolved by our terms. It's only going to get resolved by God's terms. I can accept my need for that and be poor in spirit. I can also strive for bankruptcy. I mean, I know that's a weird term, and, and, and people don't fully understand that, but I can strive for bankruptcy in such a point to where everything in my life I accept I don't deserve I didn't earn and I shouldn't possess, but God has seen fit for whatever reason to provide my every single need. I am bankrupt to a point to say that, Lord, whatever I have, it comes from you. So therefore, it's actually yours and on loan. And so I need to be a good steward of that. And so I'm okay with being poor in spirit. My kids both moved off to college. Uh, one left this morning and one left yesterday back to college. And one lives in College Station, so he can come back whenever and get whatever he forgot. Or he can move back in waves. You know, it's only like 68 miles to his house. And the other lives 500 miles away. And so she's trying to figure out, you know, um, what do I need to, to bring back or take home or whatever. And she's trying to pack everything into a, a Toyota RAV4. And she asked last night, Dad, do you think um, um, I have too much stuff? Now, she's 21 years old, just turned 21 years old uh, last week, and, and she's still a single female. And so it was a loaded question, and I felt it. I, I felt like I, oh, thank you, Jesus, for stopping that comment. I almost said something I shouldn't have. I felt it. It was still loaded. Dad, do I have too much stuff? Will it fit in your car? Well, that's not the point. Are you coming up to see me sometime this spring? That's not the point either. What if I don't come up to see you? What if I fly up? And I don't drive up, and we don't bring my truck, or we don't have a trailer for all that stuff. And I tell you this story so you understand that the poor in spirit don't look at anything of their possessions, anything of their accomplishments, anything that they can take with them and say, this is when I know I've arrived or I've made it. They don't even look and see if I have enough of that, because they can't get enough of the blessings of Jesus. But at any given point, if God were to pick us up and move us from point A to point B, he should be able to do so without all this other baggage that we're carrying with us. The poor in spirit are in fact poor because what they've realized is whatever I have, Jesus has provided for me and whatever I think I need, it has to point back to him and give him glory. Finally, the last thing that I can probably share with you is delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37, four, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, there's a lot of time in my prayers that I'm asking God for the things that I want, for the things that I think I need, for the things that I wanna move forward in. And I miss out on the part of if I will just delight myself in the Lord, if I will find myself in his presence and in his kingdom, he'll give me everything that is in my heart. Now, that's kind of a trick to it at some point. It doesn't mean I'm going to get the fast car or the new house or someone to paint it for me so I don't have to do it because I hate painting. What it means is that when I delight myself in him, the desires of my heart are about bringing him glory and about being in his presence and finding the blessedness, the true satisfaction that only comes from him in this life and the next. 
Because there is, in fact, a life after this one, and it's eternal life. And for some, it's going to be eternal death. And for those who know Jesus, accept him as the Son of God, it's eternal life to be with him forever. That's the kingdom of heaven that he wants to provide for us. And for those who do not accept that, who stay in the crowd and don't decide to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus, there's eternal death, a real place called hell. And no one likes to really think about that or talk about that. We try to find caveats and ways and in and out of that. But I can tell you something, that if you're not poor in spirit, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you have not found a soft and a contrite heart who have humbled yourself to seek after your creator, you won't find that. The thief on the cross had a really good day that day. I know it sounds terrible. He's nailed to a cross and people are spitting at him and he's been beaten and everything else. But right there in front of him was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He found humility nailed to a cross in front of him. I pray none of us have to go to prison to find that. I pray none of us have to be stuck out in the cold to find that. I pray none of us have to be knocked out by a man much bigger and faster and stronger and in his opinion prettier than everybody else. But I urge you to find humility before it finds you because it is knocking, it is seeking, and it will find you. Philippians 2 tells us, consider others more significant than yourself. Not out of humility, not out of conceit, but in humility. Try to outdo them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everybody wants to go there, but I'm not sure everybody wants to pay the price. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reality that your son Jesus died for us so that we might be poor in spirit. And so, God, we accept that gift from him that came willingly, that he put himself on the cross so that we might understand humility had a beautiful face that day that was crowned in thorns and covered in blood. And so, Father, I do pray that in humility what we would find is 